Hello and welcome to BWV Extra, our follow-up feature to each of our guests' main episodes. This is where we hand over the reins to our guests to let them lead the conversation with their biggest bugbear, most burning business question, or even just a topic of their choice to discuss with us. The choice is theirs. And this week, we continue our conversation with Jordan Jarrett Bryan, a Channel 4 sports reporter, journalist, and founder of Blackademic, an independent media network set up to celebrate, inspire, and uplift black culture, which Jordan felt compelled to create due to the misrepresentation he was seeing in mainstream media about his community and the adverse effect it was having on the younger generation. We talk about Black Lives Matter and how non-black people should best address what happened and get to hear Jordan's perspective on why he thinks business prejudice exists, both in the black community and beyond, and how we can collectively address it to overcome false bias and to give all people an equal chance in excelling. Welcome to Voicing My Community. So the ethos of Blackademic is basically to to celebrate and to inspire and uplift black culture and black people. One of the things when I set up Blackademic as well, which was very, very prevalent, was I saw happening was certain people were talking about issues pertaining to my community that had no experience of it. So the likes of Piers Morgan, the likes of Nick Ferrari, the right. likes of... The um, real twats out there. Well, yeah. I don't want to say it, but yeah, you've said yeah, it. There yeah. were certain individuals, you're kind of Lawrence Foxes that had views on my community. I'm like, hang on a minute. How dare you talk about, with your chest as well, the reason there's knife crime is because black boys don't have a dad in the home. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. You don't get to say that. So I wanted to have a platform that... If that indeed was the reason, and it's not, but if that was the reason, I want to hear from black people. Let's have this discussion amongst ourselves as to why there's a problem, if there is a problem in our community. In the same way, I would never listen to a man talk about problems that affect a woman. You're going to be not listening to anybody. <laughs> well, yeah. fair, fair, fair point. But I Mansplaining think that, is well, a big thing. It is a big thing. And I think if you want to hear about things that affect a woman... Have you not come across it's mansplaining? It's not... Spreading, you, you probably mansplaining. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, okay. We just heard that. Have you yeah. just thought, okay. <laughs> That's a new one for me. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> but see what happened there. You, you woman'splained, mansplaining to a man. <laughs> um, I like that. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I take your point, but I think it was important that we took ownership of the of the things that were affecting our community. And um, some may say that is very much um, echo chambering, but I just didn't like the fact that the mainstream media, um, of which I'm a part of, there were figures in the mainstream media that were putting out narratives about my community that were just invalid and dangerous. So I was like, you know what? Okay, it's not about breaking away from the mainstream media, but we need a platform and we need platforms, more than one, that allow us to talk about things that are affecting us and let us sort out our problems internally. It's the Black Lives Matter. I'm a white, privileged male. I, I tick it all. And, you know, my black friends who got very affected by Black Lives Matter. And I remember having a long conversation with um, Alison, who, who did one of these podcasts a long time ago. And, you know, and, and she was, we were talking about, I said, the thing is, I, said, I, I can't say anything. I, 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 I come from a world where I don't think I'm allowed to make any comment, you know, on it. And then she was sort of saying some of how she'd felt in her life and how have you ever felt that sort of, weirdly she described it. And I was like, yeah, I rap and I'm a white privileged male I feel like in those environments I feel so out of my depth it's 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 ridiculous but it's almost the point you're making it's like yeah black lives matter is is something that started in America that resonates with people very strongly here in the black community it's like how can I ask it's like as a white person do you just do you just stay out of it so I think black lives matter was almost like a, a punctuation uh, even a full stop in time for people just to stop for a second 
Everyone right. just stop and recognize and look at what's going on. Yeah. I think for white people, it was a time more so to just stop and shut up and listen. Yeah. Just listen for, for, for a little while, listen what's, and look what's happening around you. We didn't want comment, we didn't need comment, just need you to, to listen for a second. Now, whether you believe what we're saying is true or not is up to you guys, mm. but just listen to what's, what you're being told about how, our experience and how we feel. Again, I would never tell a woman what it's like to um, be sexually abused or be wolf whistled out. I don't know what that's like. I've never been wolf, well, I have actually once, but <laughs> I have once. Um, it was at a party and it was, yeah, anyway. Um, I'm a pretty sexy guy. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> that sounded so bad. Anyway, um, but the point I'm making is I, I, you listen to the people that are, are com- that are making the complaint. And Black Lives Matter for me was was a time where we need people to stop and listen. And then to your point where you felt like you couldn't, you could, you didn't, you know what to say. I think the, the thing to say off the back of listening to what we're telling you is, okay, I hear you. That's the first thing. I do hear you. The next thing is, I understand what you're saying. And even that's limited because you'll never fully understand what it's like to be a black man in a Sainsbury's and be followed around and not be able to get a cab on the street and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But to, I understand what you're saying to some degree. I can't, Empathize, but I can sympathize. So that for me was was important. Now, once we've done the listening and the understanding, the next thing is, okay, how do we change things practically? How do we ensure that we live in a world where as best as possible, you are respected, you can contribute, and you have the equal opportunity of succeeding like everybody else? I'm not asking as a black person for an, for an advantage or something that you haven't got. The problem, what we're saying is, and this is what I think came out of the wider discussion around the Me Too movement is we want to live in a world where we have an equal chance of excelling and we we feel comfortable, we feel safe and we have opportunities. That's always going to be hard in a country where I think we make up 4% of, of, two, of the... Two, is it, so is it 2%? It's 2% in England, 1% in Scotland. There you go. But la, la, much larger in London and Birmingham, you know, large percentage. It is. So numbers-wise, it's always going to be difficult. But that is, and we might come into later on, about this whole diversifying the, the workplace. I think the, the conversation is, is warped and a little bit weird. But all black people are asking for is, listen to what we're telling you is happening to us. You are the purveyors, not you personally, but you are the purveyors of what's happening to us. What can you do to dismantle a system that makes black people almost second-class citizens? I was just going to say, presumably we've got to start with schools. Like 100%. you've got to start with education. So black academic kind of works from that point of view in that you've got to start right at the beginning and change. Totally, everything. because I think the, the mindset's got to change. So what we're trying to do with black academic is on our debate shows where we talk about important issues, I want my kids to be able to look at our show and see someone presenting with dreadlocks and it not be a big thing by the time they're 10, 15, 20. I want them to see someone, a black woman who is a lawyer and owns her own firm or someone that is a pilot. We're not just all footballers, rappers and dancers. We're very good at those things as well. We're very good. We're the best at those things, by the way. I've forgotten what the name of the dance is now. Kizomba. Kizomba. We're very good at those things as well, but but, but we're not just defined by entertainment and sport. And for me, it's important that we let these young black boys and girls know you can be a newsreader, you can be a lawyer, you can be a writer, whatever you want to be. And that's part of the education that I think we're trying to instill in the people that hopefully watch our programming. I mean, ultimately, we're trying, it's a sort of irony. It's like, it's like everything. It's a process you have to go through to eventually not have to think about these things. 100%. Anymore, you know? 100%. It's, it's, it's the, whatever, communist it, is the step to socialism. It's like we've got to go through a change to one, sort of, you know. Totally. Now, whether we will do that or not, I'm skeptical about. Hence why I've decided to not try to, you have two kinds of people. Those try to infiltrate the mainstream to make change for more, for, for, for black people and for women 
women and disabled people and gay people. And that work is important and needs to be done. I'm more of the mindset that I'd rather break away over here and try and set up pods and platforms that, that black people feel they can go to. And even white people that they can watch and learn things from my community. And they feel it's a safe space to consume content people that look like them, sound like them, and have similar experiences to them. I think one of the reasons why black people fail in this country is we don't own anything. We don't own anything. We don't own any media. We don't own any... This is the wealth, the wealth argument. I yeah. think it is. If you yeah. don't own anything, you have no say. You yeah. have no say. Look at other communities and they own stuff. When you own stuff, people listen to you and they respect you. We don't In this country, we don't own anything. So if we can start owning our own businesses and our own platforms and our own media networks, that is a start, I think, to earning the power that I think ultimately gets you respected and equity. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The one-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. If you're in the UK or overseas. One-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. If your company's big or small, they can help you all. Straight Talking Financial Advice since 1935. And that was the amazing Christopher Reese. Big up Chris, spelled R-E-E-S. At this point, let me quickly remind you to look him up and start following and listening to all his music because he's amazing. And maybe when you're doing that, Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click follow so you never miss an episode. But mainly, go and check his shit out. Now, back to the chat. I mean, these are every question I'm sort of scared of asking, which is just no, shows no, no. how Anything. complex. But you know, Indian culture is you know you know is a larger culture. I think seven eight percent of the country mm-hmm. very successful in yep. business. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. They own shitloads of property. Frankly, yes. most of London, the hotels, they're all owned by Indians, and well, that's an unfair, but an enormous proportion. And I mean, they they do you regard what did you regard that they've done differently? Or? I think the experience of South Asians and other communities coming to this country is a different one to the black community. Mm. I think when black people came to this country, um, even pre-Windrush, we came here with skill sets, but not necessarily with businesses. So we, had to, we, so we had to first of all try to integrate into a country that didn't really, they, they invited us here, but they didn't really want us here. We were here just to basically build up the country again. And then, you know, once it's built, you can go again now. I think other communities came here and they had something with them. So they had something to hand down to their kids and their kids and their, and then so on to, you know, the, I don't know, 25-year-old Indian boy now. He's likely to have something because generations of his family have passed down a house. It can be just a house. Have it, you don't underestimate how important just having a house can be in starting the process of having a business. It makes things a lot easier. Mm. If you can't buy a house, you, you can't set up a business. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think having something when you come to this country and a lot of communities did, I think it makes it easier then to have that generational wealth in a way that I think a lot of black people are starting from from scratch and they're working hard and they're highly gifted and talented. But when you're starting from zero, you have to give yourself something first before you think about the next generation. That is changing. That is changing now. Though. I can get some tax in here. I don't believe it. But the, one of the, the only uh, tax relief is that you can sell your own home and it's untaxed. 
Okay. Okay. So there's a problem now in London because if you live in London, starting price three hundred grand for a you know small yeah. flat. Yeah. So how do you solve a problem where um, poorer people can't effectively get an asset that they can then sell on for free? I mean, they can. There's some assets. It's a concept of sort of shuttles and too complicated to even get into. But you're in a world where you almost need, and it's your personal private residence where you live. But if you live in London, you kind of got a choice, whatever color you are, whether you're too poor. To get on the property ladder. It seems to me that what you're actually saying is property prices are too high and we have to do something about well, them, no, a suggestion, and that's for everyone. Yeah. A suggestion from a client I thought was great is nominate any asset. So you can say, well, I'm going to buy this house in Hungary or yeah. this, this little house up in, you know, Scotland that's 25 grand that nobody yeah. wants and I'm going to rent it out. But that's my asset that's yes. tax-free. Yes. And, I'm going to, and I thought that was a brilliant suggestion as sort of trying to break down some of that that sort of problem that exists. I, I think there's two solutions to that, in, in, in particular with the black community. One, if you want to, if you can't afford, which most people, black or white, can't afford a house in London nowadays, the way to do it is the model that I think was adopted by the South Asians when they came here. It might mean collaborating. So mm. you and your siblings and your cousins may have to kind of put money into a pot to try and get property. And yeah. therefore, you know, you all have to maybe live in a crappy way short term. But the long term gain is that we're now on the property ladder. Once you're on the ladder, it then becomes easier to then get the second and third. The other one, which I think I'm seeing a lot more of now is people are investing in property and land back in their homeland. So there's so many people that are like, hang on a minute, I don't want to stay here long term. Anyway, the plan for a lot of Jamaicans anyway, when they came to this country was always, we're going back home eventually. Mm. You know, my gran always used to talk about, you know, we only plan to come here for 20, 20 years and then go back to the Caribbean. The reason why going back to the Caribbean before the last five years is problematic anyway. But now... The, the African diaspora, they're all investing back in their in their homeland. Mm. So those are the two ways I think you can you can invest in property and actually have something of your own. Either club together, or it's cheaper to buy a house in a Kenya or a Uganda or a, wherever it may be. On I the think continent. the collaboration point is a really good one because you know I'm single. Mm -hmm. I couldn't buy a house yeah. for years and years and years because, and it suddenly occurred to me that the only reason I should probably couple up <laughs> is because I'd be able Double to buy property. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you have to be able to, yeah, justify your mortgage and you can, you know, three times salary or whatever. Yeah. What can you possibly buy? You know, it forces people into the scenario now where they don't really understand getting married and buy a property together and say, "Well, I've committed, love. You know, you give me the sex. I've, you know, I've committed, haven't Does I?" That you know, that's fucking a common male argument. It's like, oh well, why should I get married? You know, every night she's up for it. I've, you know, what's what's the problem? And I and, know and, and it's sad but true. And I mean, I had this I had this argument with forty-year-old friends of mine, and I'm like, yeah, okay, but you understand that marriage is like, you know. You stand in front of people. Oh, it's about the event, is it? And stand. No, it's not fucking. It's it's about the fact that you said that's the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with, and that's the commitment. And you do it with witnesses, and that's the contract you sign. And the, this whole the other sort of point like being... you know buying a house together. So here's the problem with buying a house with someone you're not married to. My wife taught me this. Is yeah, and just my second wife, I may add. But you know, it's your okay. You have an argument with your girlfriend. You're living together. <laughs> That's it. You're fucking, you gotta, you got to get into bed together. You've got to make up. You've got to get on with it. So you're stuck together. Whereas if you were like not buying a house together, you'd be like, they really pissed me off. I might give them space for a week. This might not be for me. Do you, do you follow the problem? It's like you, you can't break so. up. You can't leave because you're just like, we own this place together. You know what I mean? But it's also, you haven't made the commitment. 
haven't actually made the step that you're supposed to make to say, this is the person. It's just convenience it becomes due to London prices. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to take it in a sort of business, of, you know, be, like one, one interesting thing is the startup culture. When you say, it struck me when you said, you know, it's no longer a surprise to see someone in dreads talking. Do you know what I mean? As a businessman. And, you know, I have a, a client I can think of who's, who's got dreads and he's the CEO of this really interesting tech business, you know, uh, Kenny, big up Kenny from Live Do. But, you know, startup culture, you just can't predict what someone's going to look like anymore. So I think there's something really, what's the word? Um, just just throwing away the rules in terms of you've got to be white and wear a suit. I mean, fuck all of that. Who knows? I mean, we meet people and you think, all I, all we were talking about earlier today, an amazing young lady, you know, I met and, and you know, she just, you wouldn't think anything of her. And then they start telling you and you're like, Jesus Christ, you're doing all of that, you know? So I think there's something in that. And the reason why I mentioned the dreads is because I have dreads, but it could be a thing of having a tattoo on your yeah. neck. Yeah. The idea that someone has a tattoo on their neck going to a million dollar business deal and they can't, because they've got a tattoo on their neck, that should somehow make you think that this guy's less intelligent or capable than the guy with there in a suit, I find interesting. Also, I have discussions with one of our program directors, Channel 4 News. Whenever I do the noon bulletin and I read the news um, at noon, she's always saying to me, you're going to put a tie on today. I don't like wearing ties. I don't like wearing ties. They don't look good I on me. Them. I don't like I wearing ties. They're such anyway. a weird, when you start thinking about them, they're such a weird thing. It is really weird. It's detract from the belly. It's genius. <laughs> I've, genius. Heard that, I've heard that as well. Um, but I think that there's something to be said about who decides what smart is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the idea that if I'm wearing, you know, I look smart when I, when I go on the dream, I wear a nice jacket, I wear a shirt, but it's just, you know, one button undone at the top. Because I'm not wearing a tie, does that mean I'm less presentable to talk to tell the news to the nation? Well, how did in, in Britain win this battle anyway? How did Britain win it with the suits? You know, why aren't we all in Japanese tongas or whatever? It's true. It's you true. Know, somehow it's Britain true. did a couple of brilliant pieces of marketing. One, the language. I think you'll find we we that went was everywhere and refused to talk any other language. You know, we were like hilariously bad integrators. Like, you know, you've got to. But yeah, I mean, maybe it was. But it is hilarious that if you went came onto set in. You know, it's becoming almost a bit acceptable. I don't know if it ever happens if someone comes in in, you know, proper whatever country dress, which is, you know, bonkers next to the suit, you know. Lederhosen. Lederhosen. Yeah, that's... Uh, is that that's business? why, because Lederhosen's crazy. Is that's it a business asset? <laughs> but if someone, if you went to a meeting and someone rocked up in Lederhosen's and, I don't know, they had their hair long and whatever it may be, we inherently would think, oh, this guy or oh, this girl's not serious. About, yeah. Back yeah. in the day, but that's not, now, now I would say with startup culture, I would just think, I would okay, love crazy, that, yeah. eccentric. I would, I would love that to be true. I would love that to be true, but I don't think it is. And we've had this conversation so many times now, but, you know, I look at it obviously from the aspect of women founders mm-hmm. because that's what I care about sure. because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the number of women founders that make it is so much less than mm-hmm. the number of men that make it. And that's not because women aren't as good at it as men. Mm-hmm. It's because... Perception. People don't look at them the same way. Yeah, totally. You know, if I if I get sort of... If I'm negotiating a point in a contract with another lawyer and I get forceful about it, mm-hmm. I'm seen as the word comes across shrill. Yeah. You know, shrill and difficult and, you know, aggressive. If a man does the same thing, he's arguing well for his client. Mm-hmm. I think it's exactly the same in startups. People look at different people, whether they're black or women or mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. differently. 
And I don't know what you do about that because you may not, but I think a lot of people it's do. It's such a, such a, com- let's take women in face, such a complicated, layered argument. You know, there's, 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 there's no doubts and people are prejudiced. We all have prejudice. And, and, and to be honest, a lot of our brain's prejudice is there to 100%. try and help us, you know. I, I think we have to all accept though that we all do have, and we all almost indoctrinated with prejudices in our minds. We all, yeah. we're trying to undo that work. And when I see someone time. with a tattoo on their neck and a, I'm trying to tell myself, well, Jordan, don't assume that that person, that person could be the smartest person in the room. That could be the person you need to be talking to after the meeting. But inherently, when you see that, your first thought is, uh-oh. Oh, and then you're like, yeah. Exactly. I often go with my dreads kind of tied up and it's only because it's a logistical reason. So just brief story. <laughs> So I went to my mum's for a Sunday dinner after work, as I do every Sunday, about two months ago. And I had my locks down. My locks, my locks come down to about my waist. But I had them tied up and I got to, I got to the house. Anyway, I'm eating my dinner. And my mum comes to me and says to me, just randomly, you've got to protect your crown. And I'm halfway through a mouthful of like, um, I think it was jerk chicken, stereotype there, but we was eating jerk chicken on Sunday, <laughs> rice and peas. Um, and I was like, what? Like, you've got to protect your crown. I was like, the most random thing that you've ever said in your life. What are you talking about? She said to me, you need to protect your crown. So Jordan, your hair's getting long and Afro hair, black people, Afro hair is very dense and very heavy. If you keep tying it back, what's going to happen is your hairline is going to pull. Oh, that's why. Uh, okay. It's going to pull. And then, uh. you know, we've seen those, those Jamaican men in Brixton or Peckham that have like four random yeah, yeah. dreads and a ball patch. It's yeah. like, oh my God, I don't want to be that, that guy. I do not want to be that guy. So since then, I've been, I often tie my hair upwards. But I went into a meeting about um, a week or soon after that. I had a shirt on, a jacket. It wasn't overly smart, but I wasn't casual either. And I had my locks up. And I could tell everybody in the room was uncomfortable because I had my locks tied up, just, just upwards. Yeah. But I didn't care because I knew that I was going to get that business to over the line. I was the one that they wanted. They wanted my business. So A, I was coming in with a position of strength of, well, you need me more than I need yeah. you. But I felt a lot of power in the fact that I didn't care how I was how I how I was being perceived. I was confident in that I was in that room justifiably and I had something to offer. I think we need to all change our minds about how we view women, black people, disabled people, all all, all other groups as well, and stop I thinking mean, do you about feel this you, traditional you, view of smartness. You could sense people maybe glancing at or looking at it. Hmm. You don't. I mean, it could have been people liked it or they just wanted to chat. They about could have it. been. Yeah, they could have know. been. Maybe they were just jealous. Maybe they, they, like, maybe they, they wanted my hair. Cool, but, <laughs> but, but it throws you. you yes. Know. And, and, and I, I just thought to myself, I can see they're all quite uncomfortable with how I'm presenting myself, but I don't care. Now, I reckon I wouldn't have got that vibe had I got in the suit with my locks like yeah, that. Yeah. Now, I don't think that would have happened, but we'll never know. But I'm, the, the point I'm making is that I think the time is changing with, with people doing startups and having businesses of their own now, whereby... You need me more than I need you. So this is how I am. This yeah. is who yeah, I so am. So you accept this, it. Accept it or and there, don't. And there are limits. If you came in and you smell. Totally, yeah, and, totally. And, 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 you know, so a lot of it's tribalism. It's like, oh, okay, they look like me or they, you know. So I think I think there's sort of within boundaries, there's limits, you know. I, I, I don't agree. Know, I don't know what the boundaries I, I, are. I totally agree. But if I was Barack Obama and I came to this room to do this podcast and I stunk, you would still have me on this podcast. Yes, Damn we straight. might talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Would we, we talk would. about it? No, we would have to say, sit Just down, Barrett. Just to put Barrett. it out there, Barrett. You don't have a seat. <laughs> no baths. You can come. You can come in underpants. We're fine with that. You come in. And if know. I was a trillionaire businessman and I came in looking like a tramp to do a business deal with you guys, 
or anybody that wants to do a business deal with me, they would they would overlook the fact that, wow, this guy's got like no trousers on, <laughs> a dirty stained shirt on, his hair's all crumpled. I love his hair like- though. <laughs> <laughs> for the hair alone, let's go ahead. Let's do it, I mean, done. Be done, sign. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Jordan Jarrett Bryan for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn, at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.